All right. Hey guys, welcome back to Some Sanity with Morgan Zeggers. Um, coming at you live from my new and growing studio. I'm so excited. It's taken me <laughs> a really long time to get moved into my house and settled in, but I spent uh, quite a lot of time setting this up, getting the green wall up, um, the lights that you can't exactly see here because I ran out and I had to order some more. Um, but we have this nice couch because we're going to be doing guest interviews on the Yas podcast and we needed a a place to sit. <laughs> so I got a cute little blue couch for it. Um, but other than that, we're rocking and rolling in this uh, new setting and I'm feeling a little more at home now. I do also feel like I'm going to be killed by a serial killer or something because I keep watching those YouTube videos about true crime. I can't really have silence when I'm working. And so I play something in the background no matter what it is. And I try not to keep it politics because I if I'm thinking about politics and doing political work and listening to another person's political thoughts, then it just really confuses me and I really want to have original thought. And so I listen to non-political things, whether it's like true crime documentaries on YouTube. I've listened to the H3 podcast, which maybe I'll like do a reaction to a bunch of those, but that's quite an interesting, you know, it's not, it's apolitical, but it's liberal and they talk about politics from that lens. And so they aren't considered political, but they do get get quite lefty and, and liberal. I think the host called themselves a socialist, so that was good. Um, but I listened to it just to hear, you know, what other people say and to see how they <laughs> how they go about their commentary. Um, but yeah, I was listening to that, and and on YouTube, I was watching the the murder thingies, and I just like now that I'm not in an apartment and I'm in a neighborhood, I just like. I don't know. Anybody could kill you. Uh, and so I'm really happy because a lot of our neighbors are actually Black Rifle fans or customers. And I feel like I'm surrounded by strong, protective men and families that I can <laughs> I can feel surrounded by. Um, but other than that, I just got back from YWLS, Turning Points, Young Women's Leadership Summit. It was fun. It's, you know, I, I, I do a little commentary and contribute some content to them. But other than that, I'm not like in turning point. Um, and so it's, it's fun to go to their events. I talked a little bit about, um, the work that I do at YAS. And then I got to do a really cool panel where I, um, moderated the panel with Diana Harshbarger. It was a really hard name. I was nervous about that. And Beth Van Dyne. So two difficult names, um, and I was a little panicked before we got on stage, but it ended up being really, really nice of a, of a panel with the Congresswomen. And um, overall, it was just a great experience at YWLS, so thank you, Turning Point. And uh, it was crazy to see how many young women that were like high school age that were there. Um, they all flew on their own, so it's, it's definitely inspiring to know that they're involved so young. Um, what I thought was cool, though, is Jared had his own work meetings in Dallas at the same time. So he came to the Young Women's Leadership Summit. Uh, first, we went to Houston, and then we drove up to Dallas, and we were both in Dallas for different things. They had the work meetings, and then he, op him and the guys opened up um, the Dallas-Fort Worth, the first coffee shop there. So it was really cool. But he would walk, Jared would walk through the hotel, and he told me that girls would go up to him and be like, it's Morgan Segger's boyfriend! <laughs> and uh ask for pictures and so I thought that that was the funniest thing because I'm not that cool but they I think they just 
could easily recognize Jared in his like camo cutoff shorts and coffee t-shirts and flip-flops. Like it's, it's pretty easy, easily identified, um, man right there. And so I just think it was so funny. It's Morgan Seger's boyfriend. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Jared took the pictures with them, which, which is cute. And now we're back. Um, just doing the regular stuff. I don't think we're doing anything until we go to Houston for Dan Crenshaw's holiday, or not, what is it? The 4th of July pool party. So it's the first annual one, um, and we'll be there. So definitely let me know if you're going to be there too. I'm excited for that. Uh, today, I I haven't really done this before, but I just have this one thing that I kind of wanted to bring your, to your attention because it's just ridiculous. It's this article called food injustice has deep roots. Let's start with America's apple pie. <laughs> and so it's a whole article talking about why American pie or apple pie is so bad and racist and contributed to genocide. And really the bigger picture, like I'll get into the article, but the bigger picture here is that I really do see this trend where we are facing a cultural revolution. You know, the the threat of socialism is important. There is the growing support for socialist economic policies, because again, you guys, socialism is just economic policy. It's, it's just a way of running an economy where the government controls the means of production. It's not everything that we're seeing in America. So you can't just call the left, ah, the evil socialists left because, you know, they could be totalitarian. They could be authoritarian. It's the different aspects of the rise of the radical left that lead to the ultimate takeover. Socialism is just the economic step. And so what we're seeing with this cultural revolution, it's very similar to what happened in China they were, you know, the ultimate cultural revolution where Mao Zedong had this little red book of over 200 little phrases that said things like American evil capitalists were going to die one day, uh, that communism will prevail, that we must continue socialism to get our end goal of communism, just some like really weird stuff. Uh, and they would use that book. That book was like considered right to think, you know, and anybody who disagreed with that book or disagreed with the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, aka the same political uh, group that we are fighting now that probably started COVID and lied about it, literally the same communists of China, they back then under Mao Zedong had this little red book and every person was required to carry it around with them and it was used as the weapon. And so if you didn't agree with the thoughts and the sayings of the book, you were committing wrong think and you would be thrown in jail. Family members were encouraged to rat on each other. And so people wouldn't only be like, oh no, now I have to report my mom because I heard her talking bad about the communists or I heard her saying she doesn't want to carry around her red book or agree with what's in it. Instead, they'd be like, yes, I get to tell our leader that my mom is evil and they would just like run to go report their parents and it was because they indoctrinated the youth to feel so invigorated in this political movement and in the idea that they had to protect right think and reject and punish wrong think and i think what we're what was a part of that is eliminating the aspects of culture that was deeply rooted in china so that held the community held the families together uh And what we're seeing in America today is that same kind of aspect of eliminating our history, removing religion, rewriting our history and our traditions, and then telling us that the most basic things like apple pie are also ways to commit wrong think and ways to offend um, the political movement that is considered right because they're racist or because they're hateful, all these things. And, And so this is just 
a tiny sliver of what, like a drop in the ocean of what proves that this tidal wave is coming at us. And so I know you could be like, Morgan, it's just some random article about apple pie. No, think of the bigger picture of, remember when it was just, oh, they're going after the statues of, you know, the racist people in history, the slave owners. And now they've gone so far as to rewrite American history classes for young people to tell them that we didn't get founded as a country in 1776. We were founded in 1619 to protect slavery. How quickly did that happen? Three years? <laughs> so uh, I don't really want to hear that talking point anymore. Um, let's get started on this article because it's funny, it's sad, it's disturbing, it's it's a lot of things. And I just want you guys to be able to see the length that they will go to to take any aspect of our culture that really ties us together as Americans, like literally apple pie, like it's a saying, right? Uh it ties us together. It's a unifying factor of society. And so they must destroy it because it, it's a remnants of our culture. And they say, you know, white people don't have culture. Well, countries where white people come from in Europe do have culture, but America is a melting pot. Uh, and so I do think as Americans, we are a melting pot. We have a bunch of different cultures and combined we have this these traditions as a society that do equal a culture maybe we haven't been around for thousands of years like other countries but at the end of the day america is a, an accumulation of different cultures combining together in this melting pot and it's really beautiful and it from that has sprouted little traditions and cultures in our own country that i think we should consider culture one of them would be apple pie and so let's look <laughs> let's look at this so it's in the Guardian, and so yeah, the Guardian. Uh, it's in the Guardian, and it's written or titled "Food Injustice Has Deep Roots." Let's start with America's apple pie. From amnesia about apple pie to burger battlefields, author and academic Raj Patel says today's food justice fights have long, bloody histories. And it's this picture of an apple pie slice over an American flag. <laughs> oh my god. So uh, I there's a little blurb under this picture of the apple pie slice on the American flag, and it says, The apple pie, once featured in a collection of American symbols, is not as American as we think it is. Okay. So first paragraph. Resting on gingham cloth, a sugar-crusted apple pie cools on the windowsill of a Midwestern farmhouse. Nothing could be more American. Officially American. The Department of Defense once featured the pie in an online collection of American symbols alongside Uncle Sam and Cowboys. Not that apples are particularly American. Apples were first domesticated in Central Asia, making the journey along the Silk Road to the Mediterranean 4,000 years ago. Apples traveled to the Western Hemisphere with Spanish colonists in the 1500s in what used to be called the Columbian Exchange, but is now better understood as a vast and ongoing genocide of indigenous people. So because apples 4,000 years ago originated in Asia and then made their way to America, they are not American, even though probably hundreds of thousands of families and employees work in the apple industry in America. And it's one of our largest crops. I mean, in upstate New York, it's, it's the largest crop, I believe next to dairy farming. It's property of Asia because it was from Asia 4,000 years ago. And it helped facilitate an ongoing genocide of indigenous people because it was part of a trade route. You gotta love it. Next up, 
Not that the recipe for apple pie isn't uniquely American. Oh, so you see, okay, so the article goes as like, not that apples are particularly American, fill in the blank. Not that the recipe for apple pie is uniquely American, fill in the blank. And then it continues on, but I'll get started. Okay, not that the recipe for apple pie is uniquely American. It's a variant on an English pumpkin recipe. But the time, oh, by the time the English colonized the new world, apple trees had become markers of civilization, which is to say property. Uh-oh, communists don't like property. In Virginia, apple trees were used to demonstrate to the state that land had been improved. John Chapman, better known as Johnny Appleseed, took these markers of colonized property to the frontiers of U.S. expansion, where his trees stood as symbols that indigenous communities had been extirpate, extirpated. Extirpated? E-X-T-I-R-P-A-T-E-D. I've never seen that one. Um, so yeah, okay, so I can see how that's like, you know, it's a symbol of like that area had been cleared. Um, and that's not, not ideal. Um, but at the same time, why do we need to attack apples and apple pie over this? Um, not that the sugar on, (laughs) okay, next one. (laughs) Not that the sugar on the crust is uniquely American. Sugarcane was first brought to the U.S. by Jesuits in 1751, but most U.S. sugar remained an import until the Haitian Revolution. So now sugar on the crust of apple pie is not American because sugar wasn't founded in America. It came from Haiti. Okay. Do you get that? Is everybody writing this down? When enslaved workers seized the French colony in 1791, European capitalists, ugh, capitalists, European capitalists sought new sugarcane fields and workers. French merchants of sugar and slavery landed in Louisiana in the late 1700s. Within 50 years, the U.S. produced a quarter of the world's sugarcane, and New Orleans had a, become a comcaton. <laughs> A com- concomitant. Okay. And New Orleans had become a hub of the slave trade. I don't know why there's these words in here. The American Civil War pushed the frontier of sugar westward. Hawaii's sugar plantations grew during U.S. Reconstruction. When the Philippines was a U.S. colony between 1898 and 1946, Filipino workers were exempted from the Asiatic Barred Zone to work in the U.S. sugar plantations in Hawaii replacing more militant Japanese laborers. Okay, so he's attacked apples because they were a part of a trade that came originally from Asia 4,000 years ago, and the trade continued the ongoing genocide of the indigenous people. So apples should not be celebrated. The recipe for apple pie apparently came from English pumpkin recipes. So we cannot celebrate this recipe, even though you could technically be like, well, this pie recipe is used similarly from an older recipe using a different fruit. And so we cannot say that it's its own recipe. Isn't that how everything works? You, you, you change things, you add things, you make things better, you try different ingredients. Isn't that just like cooking? But now we have to challenge the recipe. And then sugar on the crust. 
because sugar isn't from America. It's from Haiti. Sugar on the crust of apple pie cannot be celebrated. But they could take this argument to really anything of sugar. So maybe maybe I should make that prediction. Sugar is the next thing to be canceled because it's part of slavery in our world's history. No Laffy Taffy. No sweetened tea. No Twinkies. No chocolate cake. Nothing. No chocolate chip cookies. Have I said that yet? Those are good. Nothing with sugar because sugar is not from America. We cannot celebrate it as if it's an American thing. And we can especially not eat it because it has historic ties to slavery. Mark my words, we're going to hear that from somebody in the future, that we cannot consume sugar or something else because it has historic ties to slavery. Boom. We're going to see it, I would say, in five years, but I'm going to give it two months. Um, Moving on. Oh, there's more. Oh, no. (laughs) Not that the gingham on which our apple pie rests is uniquely American. So now we're attacking the red and white checkered patches of fabric that we put our apple pies on. Again, it's almost like a culture of America that is part of our culture. It's like a classic Americana vibe. Columbus recorded cotton being used and worn during his first voyage by his indigenous hosts. So, people before Americans wore cotton, you guys. And so we cannot celebrate apple pie because apple pie rests on cotton fabric. The gingham pattern likely originated in Southeast Asia. The word deriving from the Malay gang gang, gang gang, gang gang, G-E-N-G, Wow, this is like a, a classroom for Morgan <laughs> learning how to pronounce things. Okay, the gingham pattern likely originated in Southeast Asia. The word deriving from the Malay gang gang, a striped cloth that arrived in Europe as Europe colonized Asia. Okay, so cotton and especially the pattern of gingham was stolen during the colonization of Asia. Hence, we cannot celebrate apple pie because it sits in pictures on top of gingham. Okay, it's hard to keep up here. Cotton from India became central to the British East India Company, representing three quarters of the corporation's exports by 1766. As Sven Beckert's Empire of Cotton tells, this war capitalism enslaved and committed acts of genocide against millions of indigenous people in North America and millions of Africans and their descendants throughout the transatlantic slave trade. In the process, cotton laid the basis of finance, police, and government that made the United States. I understand cotton has a bad history with slavery, but cotton is, you know, just a part of the modern world now, and so to go back and say that now we can't celebrate cotton is not exactly the right move here, people. Um, Also, if you want to be environmentally friendly, I'm hearing that you should always seek out cotton fabrics because it's best for your skin it's best for your body it's most sustainable and so you don't go and buy fast fashion it's better to invest in full 100% cotton in order to avoid having your bad material clothing disintegrate and and get bad and then you have to buy clothes often and so the people that are environmentalists are telling us to wear cotton these people are saying cotton is tied to slavery and so now we can't use it so let's look at the list apples bad because of genocide Apple recipe, stolen 
from a pumpkin pie recipe, sugar on crust connected to slavery in Haiti. And now, gingham, the fabric in which apple pie rests on, is a no-no because it was stolen from a pattern in Asia and cotton has bad ties to slavery in America. Okay, since this is quite a lot to acknowledge, I would say so. It is definitely, you know, a lot to take in here. It is easier to misremember. In the drama of nationalist culture, the bloody and international origins of apple pie are subject to a collective amnesia. This is a lot of word garbage. In the imagining of American community, the dish, tran- or the dish is transformed into a symbol of domesticity. By 1910, it's possible for a theater review to celebrate a wholesome play, as American as apple pie. It's literally a saying. Do you get what I mean with, with the disintegration of our culture, telling us that we can't celebrate things that have been American for such a long, long time, something that we can all unite on? Apple pie is now being attacked as racist. Every ingredient of it, the fabric it sits on, is now racist. And then they have the balls at the end to say the phrase supporting American pie that things are usually said as American as apple pie. So they know how much American culture is built on this, and they want to remove it from us. This is a cultural revolution. Okay, so I want to transition into the next phase of this article called The Fight. So it gets out of the apple pie attacks, and it gets into talking about what's going on in the fight for food justice. Uh, The fight goes on to say, Battles over food justice continue in the United States. A recent Guardian Northwestern University investigation pointed to the persistent racial divide in the food system. In Texas, black families reported hunger four times more often than white families. And in the week before Christmas 2020, 81 million people were food insecure. That's very sad. We should fix it. Um, Domestic food justice movements are finding new ways to link their struggles through the intersections of race and gender, just as the old struggles did. Activists such as William Barber, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, point to the legacies of slavery that live in the U.S. practice of tipping and are mounting campaigns against its inequities, building a multiracial coalition in the tradition of Martin Luther King Jr. and Jesse Jackson. I'll say this, I've worked as a waitress both getting tips and working hourly. And so I think uh, when I was in school, I was getting like $4 an hour plus tips to work at a diner. And then I was getting eight or $9 an hour, um, as a waitress at a golf course. And so what would I rather have? I would much rather get the tips. I made a lot more money making tips. Okay. It's so sucky to work at a restaurant and make hourly because there's no incentivization for you to be like, yeah, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make the customer super happy. I'm going to try and get more tables or anything because it's like, I'm already getting paid this, this small amount and there's no amount that I can make more than this. So why work a little extra hard? I can tell you right now, like I've worked both. It is just different to make tips. It's much more fun. It's, it's a greater time and it's a better way to bond. Um, But it goes on to say, the red, black, green New Deal portends a similar front for organizing. What is that? The red, black, green New Deal. 
Is this real? Okay. <laughs> All right. So I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently the red, black, and green New Deal is definitely a thing. Let's look at what it says. We're going on a journey today. I kind of like this. I've never really, <laughs> I've never really like investigated something on, on the thing. Okay. The red, black, and green New Deal, RBG New Deal, is an initiative of the Movement for Black Lives, M4BL, it puts black liberation at the center of the global climate struggle and addresses the impact of climate change and environmental racism on black communities. This RBG Green New Deal or RBG New Deal agenda proposes immediate actions policymakers, corporations, and everyday people can do to fortify black people, especially those most marginalized, such as disabled, chronically ill, transgender, gender nonconforming, and intersex people, from the uniquely racist practices of the fossil fuel industry. We are organizing to introduce a national black climate agenda that includes federal legislation to address the climate crisis by investing in black communities and repairing past harms. Dokie. So it's a Green New Deal for black people. Why is it red though? Communism. Is that why? Red, black, and Green New Deal. Is there an explanation for the red? What if it's communism? Okay, this is very interesting. All right, let's get back to the article. I'm getting all off track. Okay, so the last sentence of the article that I read was the red, black, green New Deal pretends a similar front for organizing. We'll have to look more into the RBG New Deal. I bet you the red is for communism, the black is for black people, the green is for the environment. Um, it is clear, though, that tensions and imperfections and losses lie ahead. The U.S. continues to spread its economic model internationally, while Joe Biden's administration seems to refuse to infuse cash into the management of domestic hunger internationally it's agribusiness as usual but as mayday reminds us solidarity between workers need not be bounded by the nation state it will be remade when those links are not ones of oppression but ones of solidarity in the fight for justice food justice wow wow okay um so food injustice this is what's kind of disappointing you guys the idea that people are being impacted by a lack of food has literally nothing to do with the racism of apple pie. And so they had to do the first half of the entire article talking about why we need to hate a classic American tradition of apple pie and then transitioned into the actually serious issue of, of food insecurity, which is an issue I think we all want to solve. But instead they had to anger us, they had to use divisive rhetoric, they had to get us mad about something before they got us talking about a political idea so that then we would be more interested in supporting their radical proposals to solve the problem. So that's what's uh, pretty frustrating for me. But just to sum this up, you guys, the left is trying to divide us based on culture, based on forms of identity other than class. Regular Marxism is when you divide the class, the classes, and so the working class versus the evil, rich, oppressive, owning class. And now what we're seeing in America today is they're using race, specifically gender, sexual identity, all of the wokeisms to divide us using cultural Marxism as like the wrong thinkers versus the right thinkers on woke politics. Um, what they're doing with eliminating our ability to consume the 
apple pie because it's racist and we can't even enjoy the sugar sprinkled on the crust. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty gross, but it is stuff that happens throughout history when they try and have these cultural revolutions, specifically looking at China, where they did try and eliminate culture. They did try and eliminate food styles. They did try and eliminate re uh, religion. And that's what they're doing now in America of taking away the aspects of society that keep us, um, true to our core. So tradition, culture, um, and, and, practices as a community and as families and, and as individuals that really keep us glued together and, and relatable to one another. And so it's very, very sad to see. I do want to say two other topics quick before um, I end this episode. One, Chrissy Teigen. What a freaking mess. What an absolute mess. I'll probably talk about her later in depth. Um, Candace Owens got attacked by some for going after Chrissy Teigen, but I liked what Candace Owens said about this. It's not cancel culture for us to do this and for us to hold her accountable. It's accountability culture. She said some, I think she used accountability. Um, but yeah, it's not cancel culture. It's accountability culture. And so when you act like an idiot, when you act like an evil person, you deserve to be held accountable. And that's what's happening with Chrissy Teigen. It was about a month of Chrissy Teigen not being on social media, taking a break from it because she was attacked when it was found out that she was not only tweeting that she wants young women who got themselves in questionable circumstances like teenage um, motherhood and uh, other, you know, unapproved of things in our society, they already have a bunch of negative spotlight on them for what they had done. And then Chrissy Teigen decided to make it 10 times worse by tweeting about how they should die, tweeting about how they should overdose, tweeting about how they should be at the mental uh, facilities. And then not only that, but DMing them, DMing these young women. So she really got what was coming to her there. And, and I do think that that was right for her to be held accountable in this way. But what just made it 10 times worse is Michael Costello, who's a dress designer that I really love. I've actually followed him for years. He just came out and said that for years he's been suicidal after what Chrissy Teigen did to him. So Michael tells the story, and it just came out this week, that he had an employee that was disgruntled, um, former employee that was disgruntled, and made fake screenshots of from Michael that made it look like he said the N-word. He did not. They were photoshopped. And so even Instagram proved that that was the case, that these were photoshopped images, and they removed the images that were photoshopped from the app. But Chrissy Teigen didn't care, and she decided to work with all of her team to make sure that Michael Costello never got any work, that he was not respected as a dress designer, that he wasn't respected in Hollywood anymore. And that's really where he made his money. And so he tweeted, uh, or he posted on Instagram, Instagram today, the screenshots of their conversation. And here's how it went. He said, Chrissy, can I call you? She said, no, I do not have anything to say to you. You will get what's coming to you. How evil is that? She And then so he replied and he says, Chrissy, I've never called anyone the N-word. Those fake images were photoshopped from a former disgruntled employee. She said, good luck with that, LMAO. Hope that story keeps your dead career going. Like, this woman has no soul. It's like, how can you talk to another person like that, especially that you don't know? Like, Are you just that conceited? You think you're that higher up? You think you're that holier than now that you can talk to others, the plebs like that, the plebs? Is it the plebs or the plebs? I say the plebs. 
You think you can talk to us like that? Uh, And so then he says, please call me. I am suffering from this more than you can imagine. So many people are attacking me over this. It's a fake story, but your comment is adding more fuel to the fire. She replies, and this is like heartless, evil, not bullying. It's, It's way beyond bullying. It's, it's way beyond just a snarky comment. It's way beyond a snarky tweet. She says, good, racist people like you deserve to suffer and die. You might as well be dead. Your career is over. Just watch. So first of all, considering she thinks that all conservatives, even like me, are racist and hateful and stuff, does that mean that she thinks that we all deserve to suffer and die and that we might as well be dead? That's a good little thought for us to keep in moving forward. Um, but... How can you say this to a stranger? And so she is really getting it after her right now. I I think she does deserve the accountability that's coming. This is not cancel culture coming for her because cancel culture, this totalitarian style of attacking anybody who, who votes for a certain way, specifically conservative, who donates to a conservative. I mean, they tried to cancel Chip and Joanna Gaines for donating $1,000 to their family member who is running for school board and who happened to be against critical race theory. That made national news and was on the hill.com as a headline that how dare they do that and and that's the problem there's no freedom of association anymore that's the danger of cancel culture it's totalitarian it's not this like cancel culture of we're just every time we get mad at something we're canceling people no it's way worse than that and there's historic trends for how dangerous it is that prove we need to get away from this trend what's happening with chrissy again she was a terrible human This has nothing to do with politics. This has everything to do with the fact that she wants other people to die because she doesn't like them and she has the courage or the the balls to really go up and, and tell them that she wants them to die. So I think that that's evil. I don't think that we should be looking up to her or really any celebrities. I'll, I could get on a rant about this of why do we idolize celebrities so much? Why do we look up to them when in reality they always come out having these drug problems or they're like secretly during that interview, I was wasted because I had an alcohol problem. Secretly, I that whole time when I was on stage, I was on cocaine. I was so skinny back then because I was on cocaine. I was on drugs. I was going through these problems and nobody knew. The world didn't know then why do we put them on pedestals if we don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes? Why do our children have these people on posters on the wall? Why do we cry and ask for pictures and and hope that we'll get followed by somebody with a blue check mark one day when in reality what's on the internet and what's on the front cover of a magazine and everything that Chrissy Teigen does is not really what happens behind the scenes. It doesn't show what's in her heart. It doesn't show what's in her soul. And right now it's looking like she's got nothing in there because it's empty. Soulless, heartless is what I'm getting from her. Uh, that's my take on that. I'm not a mom. I'll, I'll say that I'm not a mom. I would like to be one day, but I just know when I have kids, I want to make sure that they never end up a part of a fandom. I hope they never end up being one of those people that sees a celebrity in the street and chases after them and asks for a picture. I hope they're never somebody who screams and cries when they see celebrities walking by in a crowd at like standing outside when you watch the stars walk into an award show. You know those like they put the stands out for people to watch and like scream in. I hope they're never part of the screaming mob in the crowd that's just crying of seeing in person some singer. I don't ever want them to be like that. And I I really hope that they're not somebody who idolizes people based on how many followers they have. All of this could really 
not be a problem if we didn't prop up people like Chrissy Teigen who really have no talent and are just looked at and made into these figures that should be role models. Like, I mean, she was on the cover of how many magazines she went to the white house correspondence dinner. We look to her for her political views and her votes. And she tells us that, you know, her politics are the way. And if you disagree, then we're like these evil conservative Republicans, whatever we are. When in reality, she's this evil behind the scenes. And so everything is, is, such a lie with the internet and with uh, internet fame that we have these days. So that really frustrates me. The next thing, though, I think it's so interesting. I've just got to say, they had the Jeffrey Tubin guy. Is that how you say his last name? I'm just going to call him Jeffrey. He's the guy that was pleasuring himself, I guess we could say, on a Zoom call with his work colleagues from CNN. And he said that, you know, he didn't know that the camera was on. He didn't know that he was on the call with them and he wouldn't have purposely done that. I understand he might've made a huge mistake, but he's also got a terrible past and that's really uncomfortable. Like he got like a secretary pregnant and then like really pressured her to get an abortion, which is a whole other thing that I didn't know about, but I heard about today. What weirds me out the most is like, how long has it been since this controversy happened? It was a gross thing. Nobody wants to hear about it. And there was a much better way to show him grace and to give him a way to be reacclimated into the workplace or even just reacclimated into society in the public square because he does have to work. You know, he has to take care of himself. We can't just banish people from being able to provide for themselves when they mess up like this. We, I think we should have more grace as a society. But why did CNN just put him on national media right away and have that poor female anchor ask him and like make like she went through the whole conversation, like asked him what he did, had to explain what he did and then went into like, well, why did you do it? How do you feel about it? Why did they make some female anchor do that with him? Because it's just such a crap moment. And it was such a terrible thing to do for both parties. I don't think it helped him at all to thrust him right back into the spotlight. Um, so that was just something that really disturbed me because it's icky, it's gross. Yes, I think we need to be able to show grace, but what he did is so weird. And so it it is a unique circumstance. Um, that being said, I'm going to start doing more episodes each week. And so I've got to figure out what days I'm going to post, but we're hoping for two a week starting now. So I will see you guys next episode and I'll have more of the dates locked down. But definitely, if you haven't yet, subscribe on YouTube so you can see the video version. Uh, I have the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast up. Uh, follow me on Instagram and stay tuned for next episode. Bye. Mwah.